Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Hello everyone, welcome to another fun-filled and exciting edition of Mixtape Podcast. I'm Jason Emmett. I'm Studi. I'm Casey Masterpiece. Pimp Daddy Spike Dog. <laughs> and that girl. Yes. And that girl. <laughs> we hear a little, we hear some that laughter back there. That girl. <laughs> yes. That girl <coughs> is poison. That girl is poison. poison. Never trust a big butt to smile. <laughs> Spank dog. Never trust a big butt and a smile. <laughs> so, <laughs> so don't be fooled. We are uh, we're actually uh, they're all joining us because we're recording two episodes tonight. But uh, last week, which will be this week for all of you out there listening now, KC and I had a uh, opportunity to sit down with Josh Blaylock, um, founder of Devil Do's Comics, uh, actually Devil Devil's Do Publishing. I highly recommend everybody, well, I mean, I guess you're listening to it. I was going to say, I highly recommend everybody listening to that interview. If you're listening to this now, you're about to listen to that interview. But it was a really great interview. Um, unfortunately, uh, Stewie couldn't be there with us. And, uh, but I'm here all, now. We, we did it at kind of an odd time for everybody. but. It was great. Um, I really enjoyed the interview you guys are about to listen to. It's hard for me to talk about it in the past or like, like the present tense because <laughs> like I want to like talk about it. Past present. Tense. Um, yeah, it's weird, but it's a great interview. He is. Yes. It, we we touch briefly on well, not briefly. We go over the GI Joe comics, but he's a font of knowledge in the comic book world in general, and mm-hmm. we learned so much. Just uh, it was kind of hard not to start geeking out, and just <laughs> he just told us all kinds of information about comic book publishing and what it took to get started, and all the ins and outs, and all the things he had to go through, and and it, it's really fascinating. It's fascinating to listen. So you're about to hear that, um, and we're not going to do a whole bunch of our uh, typical you know talking and BSing before. Did want to uh, bring up a couple of I, I'm bummer as it is, but two. Uh, We'll say 80s, 70s and 80s related deaths. Um, the first one is Ian Holm. That that one kind of hit hard. Yeah. Uh, going all the way into the Hobbit movies, but, uh, well, not the Hobbit. I guess he was in the, he actually in the Fellowship of the Rings. But uh, he played the Hobbit. He played Bilbo. <clears throat> but Ian Holm passed away. He was also in Alien, for those of you who don't remember. He was in a whole bunch of stuff. And then, of course, the, uh, the Joel Schumacher, well. which... There was some discussion um, and about doing a Joel Schumacher episode, maybe getting into like the Lost Boys or something. But it, I think that's just a big enough episode that we couldn't just throw it together quickly. We wouldn't be doing it any justice. So we will be doing a Joel Schumacher episode down the road. Uh, 
in a little while. What in the hell is going on here? They're all just cracking up. I missed something. Or I did something. I have no idea. I, I'm picking at the tattoo and I'm getting smacked. I'm picking at the tattoo. Yeah. She's is that some sort of like drug reference to <laughs> like like you're on smack? It's, like it, it, it's the new thing. Like. So yeah. chasing the dragon, uh, dragon picking the tattoo. Yes. It's, he yeah. just told me he wasn't supposed to be picking at he's it. He's not supposed to be picking at it. And you'd think after all the tattoos he's had, <laughs> he would know better. I was picking off Get the some help, Stu. Oh, God, Stuart. <laughs> oh now I feel horrible that we're leading into an interview with Josh oh Blaylock with Stu going, I'm picking off the dead stuff. Oh, shit. Ugh. I didn't even think about it. <laughs> we just start talking about it. God. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sorry, Stu fails. <laughs> Maybe we should just go right into the interview. <laughs> we should um, just redo and have me in another room. I mean, it's part of what this show is, right? If we didn't do this stuff, we wouldn't be us, right? So, oh, sorry. Uh, okay, take two. No, a <laughs> couple of things. That you, you're, you'll hear KC is actually in the studio with me uh, during the interview. No, he's just drunk skyping today. <laughs> drunk skyping <laughs> yeah, is, yeah, is. Amen to that. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna yeah. say he won't be fun. Um, we always have more fun when he's with us, but it might be fairly entertaining anyway. Uh, we do have. We do have a couple of really brief spots during the interview where, and I mean, they're not long, so don't freak out. But I just want to give a heads up. Uh, you know, we were on Skype. He, uh, Josh is in Chicago. Yes, Stu, he's in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> he's in he's in Chicago, and so we're on a little bit of a time difference, and uh, so he did Skype in with us. But so we do have a couple little spots where the Skype does what Skype does, but uh, primarily it was a, we I didn't have any issues. And I tried to clean them up as best I could where that happened, and then the big <laughs> debacle is not in there. Nobody gets to hear what happened. But uh, Josh doesn't even know about it, but he will if he's listening to this. So, right in the right, right in the middle of the freaking interview, I had the, I had a gobo on my microphone. It's really heavy. A what? It's shut up, Stuart. It's really heavy. <laughs> it's a fraggle, and uh, it's a really heavy thing that kind of blocks the you know air and stuff Down off off the uh, off the microphone. It's I thought I was a part of the Mogwai family, but you know. Gobo. No, go, Gobo sounds ex- like like a fraggle. Uh, I thought it was Bobo. What? <laughs> Sorry, Legends. Anyway. <laughs> Legends of Tomorrow, anyone? Yeah. Never mind. Mm-mm. Hold on. I'm a little slow, but it's here. Creaky, creaky. <laughs> anyway, so this thing's kind of heavy, and our mics are all on arms, and right in the middle of the episode. <laughs> to it. I'm just ignoring you guys. Right in the middle of the episode, my microphone <laughs> falls off the, the uh, arm, hits the desk, where it lands and stays, which is good because I can't really adjust the arm of my mic now because we're in the middle of an interview. Kevin and I are trying to be professional about the whole thing and not die laughing, but the problem is is now my microphone is laying on the desk. So through the entire rest of the interview, whenever I spoke, I had to bend down to talk into the microphone. So, But I cut that out, too. I mean, not... You, all the rest is in there, but you don't hear it hit. Uh, I did cut the big kaboom out. And, you know, to, to Josh's credit, he, he either never noticed or he never said a word. So thank you very much. We appreciate that. It was pretty loud. Truly professional. He was. And uh, it's a great interview. So let's go ahead and lead you into that interview now. 
and then we will come back and do our closings and give some thoughts and uh that'll be that so here is our interview with josh blaylock So we'll go ahead and kind of introduce everybody to you. We're pretty lucky here tonight. We, we actually have Josh Blaylock on the phone with us, founder of Devil's Do Publishing. Kind of wanted to uh, get a little, just a little bit of information about how you actually found yourself involved with the, uh, with the comic book industry, how it all got started, how long you've been at it. Uh, if you want to kind of give a little introduction about who you are. Sure. Uh, yeah, that, I uh, started publishing, as Casey just mentioned here, in 96. Uh, but um, I just had been drawing my entire life, you know, since before I could even remember. And when it bounced back between wanting to be an animator versus being in comics. And then but I think around like 12, decided like hardcore, like comics was where it was at. And really, it was just like impatience <laughs> is how I got involved in the business side of it. Everyone who gets to a certain stage, you know, even when you are not professional level yet and your stuff still sucks, it still but you're getting there. It means you've been put years into it. So everyone who's like not there yet, is <laughs> still like dying to get into business because they've been working at it for so long. And, uh, you know, I mean, it was like the mid nineties and comics had had a boom and then it had a bust. And, uh, there was all these like different publishers. I, spe- I mean, it's so different. You know, there's no, there's really no internet. That was brand right. new. And then there was no, like in Cincinnati, there was no, uh, really no cons to go to um yeah i would like look in the wizard magazine at like all these cons in the big cities like oh man i gotta get there so <laughs> true I think they, had, they had one that i went to one time and so they would have these like little tiny shows up at and sheridan at the holiday inn or yes. the, yeah mm-hmm. something like that or the sheraton in sheridan <laughs> uh <laughs> yeah i mean you just go into like a little ballroom they have maybe like two or three professionals there and um just started asking locals who had done publishing like hey how do you how do you do this and uh there was these guys um rodney fike and and that whole crew that did this book called superior seven way back then a little black and white superhero book um they you know any anytime you're like a kid asking those questions you know like you can get a lot of people happily talk to you because you're you know like right it's not that common so um they were super nice and uh Dion knuckles was the artist on those books um flashbacks yeah they, they kind of helped me and then i just i would read anything i could get my hands on in the interview and the reality is you know to get something distributed and, and to call yourself a publisher is not hard once it's accepted in a catalog <laughs> you're you know congratulations you're a publisher you know the hard part is making people buy getting it people to read right. it <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's actually casey and i were talking about that earlier i grew up you know i i read all the dcs and the marvels that's what you read and I really didn't start reading kind of some of the independent stuff until I got a little bit older. It would have probably been in the mid to late 90s when I started picking stuff up. But part of the problem back then was if I found something I liked, it wasn't necessarily easy to keep getting my hands on that because it was might, might have been from a smaller publisher. So that's why a lot of times I think especially then it was harder to get the word out. Things probably a little different now with the internet and like e-readers and all that stuff. Although it's not nearly as much fun, right? <laughs> to, yeah, to, we used to uh, we used to rely heavily on like those, those weekly papers, you know, like Comic mm-hmm. Shop News and Comic Spire's Guide, and and we would uh, buy. Um, so the way if you were just starting out self-publishing um, and you wanted to find artists, so I'm in a weird mix of like I always have always been an artist, and I, but I know I was like never. 
all the way back to like a little kid. I never very rarely just wanted to draw pictures. I wanted to write to create stories mm-hmm. with the pictures. So um it's like I think Larry Hama and Evan Dorkin both say like they're writer they're they're artists who write. You know, they're not they don't <laughs> ever call themselves writers. I kind of feel like that. But but like when you start doing more I always just you want to, you want to collaborate with people. I just naturally always wanted to like build this little community of people I was working with, even though I would usually end up doing pretty much everything myself, but you would put like an ad in the back of a comics buyer's guide, like a old school classified ad, you know, you'd pay, I don't know, 20 bucks or something to put two sentences in there that you're looking for artists or writers, writing partners. And about two weeks later, you'd start getting, uh, Letters in the mail with submissions. Ah, uh, the nineties. And uh, yeah, man. And hell, I didn't. Well, I didn't even know. Like when I, I did this book after that called Penguin Brothers, uh, which oh, had yeah. a bunch of like ska punk stuff in it. Mm-hmm. And I, I interviewed a couple bands. And the second I did that, I just started getting free CDs in the mail. <laughs> that's awesome. So, <laughs> yeah, that's all stuff worked back then. It was like, uh, hey, this is all right. So, would you say you tend to uh, these days anyway? Do you do you write more than you? Then you draw now, or is it sort of fifty-fifty? Or it's definitely more writing. Um, I've uh, I'm, I'm seriously probably like twelve years behind where I would be <laughs> as an artist um, if I had just been drawing this whole time. Do you have a preference? But, um, like, do you prefer to write over the drawing part, or do you? Um, I, I really I think I like it both equally. They're you know they're both fun and it's like. A, anything creative they're both fun in the beginning right they're super fun in the beginning and then when you get halfway through it it's it gets tedious and then it's like torturous for like 60 percent, 70 percent of the process and then at the very end it's like it's exciting again yes <laughs> <laughs> and that's pretty much how it goes but with writing you know when you're just trying to break in as a professional um if a writer makes about half of what a what a well as far as the publishing pay scale goes the writer makes about half of what the artist does hmm. but a writer could do probably four or five times more titles than an artist because wow. if um you know an artist i mean a very prolific solid reliable artist can do about one book you know one page a day which is about one issue a month taking like weekends and stuff off if, if all they're doing is writing they could pretty easily do four books um so then they can make twice as much and then that much quicker, they build up a backlist of books, and they have uh, just based on like you know the striking a lucky hit, you know they have a bigger chance of getting a hit. Sure. And then you know within like five years, they can have staff, you know ten years especially, they can have a lot of stuff they're getting royalties on passively, whereas the artist takes longer. But as things have evolved in the last less than a decade um, with conventions and stuff. Now the artist, you know, with social media and everything else, the artist can really capture everyone's sure. attention and build a fan base much more quickly than a writer can. And they have a way to fund themselves going to these conventions so much to the point to where uh, a lot of them have are, you know, have struggle with, well, how much time do I spend on doing my commissions and my, mm-hmm. my like, prints and stuff versus working on the actual comic book to get published? Like, what you know, where, where's the fine line? Like, what do I want to do? <laughs> Cause I have options. Right. So that that's where, um, yeah, yeah I like, um, that's fair. I've met, I've met a few, uh, comic book artists at conventions, but probably not as many writers. Yeah. <laughs> so I could, I can definitely see that. Boy, I miss conventions. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so I'm 
most of my time creatively is coming up with the ideas just in general and then developing those those worlds and plots out and then i draw as much as much time as i can into actually designing all the characters designing lots of elements of the world and the fantasy and then then bringing an artist in to actually draw the book so it gives that is a good advantage to be able to not just to be able to like sketch over something or draw something to explain it to an artist but also you're you can truly more genuinely say it's your creation versus when you have to 100% partner with an artist on coming up with everything. Mm. Does that ever make it more and, difficult for you? Because going in, you have some vision in your head, and you you have somebody draw it, and you know what you want. You know you could draw it if you really wanted to. Does that ever make it really difficult for you? Or Sometimes, with because with the writing, because the, I think one advantage any artist-writer combo has, who eventually morphs into being more of a writer, is when someone like that writes, like when I write, I... I'm thinking in my head how I'd be drawing it. Sure. And I, I, I can't not think of it. Right. It's impossible, it's impossible for me to think of the scene in a way without having an idea how I would literally be sketching it out right at that moment. So um, I have no idea how someone who doesn't draw like writes to explain to the artist what to do. Like that, that's got to be their <laughs> struggle. If they, you know, if they just wrote and never, never drew really, um, and you're a writer learning how to be a pro, it probably takes a long time to, uh, get the idea of, you know, oh, I, I have to, I, you know, the artist isn't going to be able to do all this, where I just instinctively know, like, oh, there's no, there's no fucking way this guy's going to be able to draw all this stuff, you know, <laughs> right. in one panel. But it also makes you, so I think it makes you more merciful to the artist. Like, I feel way more guilty asking artists to do revisions on things, because I'm thinking about uh, myself there having to redraw it. At, at the same time, like, you're also... It, 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 you need to be assertive. I need to like. I always have a problem being assertive enough. Like, and I've gotten better about it, that over the years. Like going back and saying, "No, what if you drew it this way?" Because right. um, naturally, one of my strengths is like layouts. Like I, I've been able. I've just had a knack for that since I was a little kid. Since I was probably really started to craft that, that and giving like positive comments on that around like eighth or ninth grade. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I need to embrace that and be like, "Okay, what if you?" What if you change the camera angles of the layouts in it this way? And that's where I can help an artist who, you know, might be better at anatomy or inking or something than me. But, but you know, I, so it's when we really work strongly together on that stuff, um, that creates the best combos. And uh, what has happened with me is, you know, I, as a publisher, everything of my own kind of has taken a back seat for years. And uh, I was already resolve to make sure i start getting more of my own books out right in the next year and then when when covid19 happened it's like well shit <laughs> no <laughs> yeah. excuse now like or, um so i'm working on the, the new mercy issue of mercy sparks it's coming out in september yes um this new series arc world is coming out uh it was supposed to be out in april it's going to come out more like august because of uh i think it's got put on hold with diamond and everything but it's at the it's i think just printed out actually and then there's another sci-fi project called The Encoded that I'm working on that I brought in Mark Powers. That one I brought in Mark Powers to help co-write with me after I developed it out, uh, just because I've got a lot going on. But um, yeah, so we'll have a nice, I'll have a nice little like universe of my own books. Nice. Um, they're not technically all part of the same universe or anything like that. But uh, so and then that- I'm working on a kids kids book, actually bringing back Penguin Brothers ah. um, for a younger audience. So was that always the plan for you? I mean, did you? 
did you always know you wanted to do your own stuff or was there like a point where you of course wanted i want to work for the big guns or was it always i want to do my stuff yeah, it was always i it was doing my own stuff and i respect that. working for yeah. the <laughs> working for the big working for the big guns was always just a means to an end right? okay yeah. and uh it kind of became like conscious or self-aware of that probably around like the early teens uh teenage years because my like i was obsessed with walt disney (laughs) um so as a little kid i would talk about wanting to make cartoons and then people would say comic strips like in the newspaper and i would get frustrated as like a five-year-old and try to explain no like cartoons that move on tv then learn you know didn't know the word animator right (laughs) and then uh so from that young age anything my parents were really supportive of that and you know always tried to help so encourage the drawing and that's, and, that's uh, awesome that's wonderful back then again you could just write a letter like a little kid you could write a letter to like the walt disney company and be like hey i want to draw comics and animations i want to draw animations and they and they would write your letter back nice and they would send you like a little thing uh a little brochure and stuff and then uh but that i got i like, read his biography as a kid and then got you know kind of i think that hooked me on any like underdog entrepreneurial story <laughs> like you know building something from nothing and uh i, I read that same biography then, probably uh, about 10 years ago <laughs> and it was very I was inspired then 10 years ago so I can't imagine how it would have been if I would have read it as a kid but might have changed my whole life yeah it was like <laughs> I've read two of them and I can't remember which ones they were and uh I just remember and I know I read them I think like in eighth grade but then creatively I was just drawing comics like non-stop obsessively and so then it's like okay well duh obviously and I, you know once you learn more about the animation process well, now I know that people just do designs. Like my one of my best friends, Jose, does uh, is an amazing designer for a lot of shows. And but I, I thought that everyone in animation had to be like a cog in the wheel of just doing the, the you know, just having the doing the frame by frame drawings. Right. And, uh, yeah. Comics, you're creating your own world, and plus I'm always writing all the time. And and uh, it was like, okay, yeah, definitely comics is obviously what I want to do. And I started trying to break into that when I was like 14 or 15 and still terrible. Then around like 16, you know, it was the early nineties comic boom. Lots of not quite professional, you know, companies were popping up, putting right. out books and then find themselves selling, you know, 20, 30, 40,000 copies of books. And then the image guys, all, all the, you know, they left Marvel and formed image comics. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was like the perfect age. Everything hit right at the perfect, like, you know, series of events to make me just be like, yes, this is what I got to do. And, uh, then it was just about, it didn't matter how just is like, how do we, it's not like, can I get into comics or will, like, how do I? And, and there was some like goofy fly by night publishers that signed deals with me when I was a teenager that they shouldn't have signed because I wasn't <laughs> good enough. Um, and then, and then they turned out to be like super unprofessional and, and, uh, as a kid, if you're, you're giving adults the benefit of the doubt and assuming they right. know more, they must know more than you do because they're like a the company or whatever, it takes you a while to realize like, oh, these adults don't know anything. And so there's just a lot of goofballs I encountered, and uh, so I just started self-publishing, and then um, and then got started doing like freelance gigs for anything I could get my hands on. In Cincinnati, you can do like a lot of freelance for Procter and Gamble and and. Uh, I worked on boards for the 
this new invention called the Swiffer. <laughs> oh, the, the you did the Swiffer too. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I was just a grunt doing like some back end, like it was like a one off gig, but I just found those the other day. It was kind of funny. Did you ever have a chance to work with one of your heroes? Maybe like a Jack. Oh, Kirby? Larry Hama. Larry Hama for sure. Oh, that must have been awesome. Yeah, that's intimidating at first. <laughs> <laughs> and then so many. I mean, uh, I self published, uh, was doing freelance gigs got a day job for a t-shirt company in Cincinnati that we called Ripple Junction that I got to be part of really spearheading this whole launch of 80s retro cart like cartoon properties on clothing which had not been done before oh, um, and that blew up in all the malls and uh, turned like they grew into their huge t-shirt licensing company now and I was their art director still again didn't have any idea what I was doing but <laughs> I got that gig at like right out of I was like 20 so it was like right out of art school but I learned how to do licensing through that. So I went and approached Hasbro about the G.I. Joe comic book license. Because that, that's the one... Those were the characters where... I, I loved Batman. I loved right. a, lot, a lot of mostly DC titles. And I loved a lot of indie stuff like Ninja Turtles and Scud and uh, Joan and Vasquez. And I was reading all that stuff. So my nerdy superhero jam was like DC's entire universe. And then weird indie books. And then, uh, but the fantasy that I grew up with that I really, really like was like, yes, I have to work on these characters was all of those cartoons and comics that, that had, you know, we all wanted to come back. Right, right, right. And 1999, 2000, man, nobody in charge of anything understood that. Like all the adults at that time, I mean, people who were literally only like 30 did not understand the groundswell of like, you know, <laughs> of like, just of desperate desire for those properties to come back and so i lucked out i you know found that void and uh because they under they undervalued it and didn't know what they had uh i was able to get the gi joe license and then um instead of self-publishing it i did a deal with image central i was gonna the say, book out yeah you you guys you got gi joe right after image right they they were they had it right before correct is that no that was me okay that, yeah okay no, so you I, actually took it so in, with it you were with image and then took it to devil's due that, I started double. I started Devil's Due, and uh, so my first thing I ever published was called Labyrinth Studios. Uh-huh. Was the company, and then because <laughs> it was about the Minotaur, who is the Greek monster found in the labyrinth, and that whole story. And I thought it sounded cool. Nobody could spell or pronounce labyrinth. <laughs> and I just got tired of people being like, "Whoa, labyrinth, labyrinth!" You know? yeah. Right? I knew <laughs> it because David of Jim Bowling. Henson, but yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, and I was working on the t-shirt stuff and i was just kind of doodling around always trying to come up with like streetwear ideas and lines of and i was like doubles do sounds like it'd be a cool brand name like it could be a band it could be a shirt it could be you know comic company it could be anything it's just and uh that's that's literally all it was i came up with a little face logo idea for it and and i decided to keep that for myself and made that the name of my studio to do freelance work on and start self-publishing under that banner and i formed the company for it um so then you know that's just what i used to make my proposal with and uh it's kind of my shock they just it happened it took like six months or longer for that to all go through but i knew i had the whole experience with the t-shirt world was really beneficial because i got to see when so that all started with my bosses wanted to do a retro line and i was proposing all this cartoon stuff and if you have if you have no idea what a, like a Decepticon or an Autobot symbol is, <laughs> it looks like really bad bad tribal art. Sort of, um, yeah. <laughs> like if you don't know what it is, you know. I, I mean, they're amazing designs, but like if, just if you don't get it, you're mm-hmm. like, what is what is this goofy thing? And so they were like laughing about it, and then 
they made samples though they because they had relationships with Hot Topic and right. Gadzooks was the store back oh, then. Oh, I remember Gadzooks. Yeah. Um, the buyers would call back and say, like, uh, "We're not interested in anything from the '80s." And I one time I got really pissed and I was like, "Call her back right now and tell her to show that to any like just any guy in the office who's between 20 to 25." Yeah, any of us. <laughs> and, 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 yeah, and uh, she called back and ordered like 2,000 units, and that started the whole uh, thing. So, um. But it was a learning process. They, they all were like nobody at any of these super like trendy, you know, following every every little pop culture thing. Had no idea how popular this '80s stuff would be, and it was so obvious to all of us. So when again two years later, I got it, the comic license, and it was the same thing. It was like the retailers had they they spend all their time in their stores. <laughs> they, they had no idea what was going on out at, like every mall in the country that, that people were freaking out over this '80s stuff. And it's almost like it was weird too, because all Wizard Magazine did every every month was hire J. Scott Campbell and Joe Matuera like to draw these big double page spreads of all the favorite '80s characters right. and how and everyone's always talking about how awesome it would be if they came back. And when I got that license, nobody had a clue. Like no one cared, and uh, like none of the, the publishers or, or any of the decision makers, the fans were like, "Fuck yes, give this to me now." So I um I was like, okay, if I don't get, don't find a way to get this myself. I'm gonna go to some publisher. They're gonna say this is dumb. I'm gonna sit there and spend like a month explaining to them why it's a good idea. And then who am I? I'm like total nobody. They're just gonna pat me on the head and say thanks for teaching us. They're gonna get the license, right? And then they're gonna maybe right. let me write like two issues. <laughs> so I, I popped together loans and everything else and got the license, the license myself. And then I went to Image. Wow. Um, and then uh. Everybody there wasn't even on board with picking it up. From what I what I've been, what, what what's been implied, like pretty sure it was a marketing guy there at the time who got it and convinced them to take it on. And then they still didn't know what they had. And then it became you know, we released the uh, David Michael Beck, 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 who's also a Cincinnati guy, uh, released his um, painting of Snake Eyes on on one of the message boards and uh, sent it to Wizard and. And like Newsarama and stuff, I think was around back then. I'm not sure. Just people lost their minds. So then Diamond wanted to put it on the cover to previews, and um, yeah, so kind of like it took off from there. So then, like that, just sort of became like, hey, you've been trying to get into comics, however possible, this whole time. Here's here you go, you got your hit. <laughs> so it's like okay, draw. You know, everything became that, and just. You know, I, I hired myself to write it. <laughs> uh, Smart move. <laughs> I did all the original. I did all the all the first wave of character redesigns. Um, so Scarlet Shipwreck, Flint, Snake Eyes, uh, Duke, all, all that stuff. I and, and Destro and all these guys I redesigned, and then uh, I wrote it for the first two years, and then I was kind of on and off and writing it, and then Devil's Due just took off super fast. So I probably really should have just focused on like continuing to write and put out. Not so many books, but um, it was really weird from the jump on dealing with image because they were meant were structured to deal with individual creators, and they had recently started getting into the studio thing, like with Dreamwave, who as soon as GI Joe got announced, they went and they snagged uh, Transformers, yeah, um, and then that really by the you know that was like the second East thing. So once GI Joe took off, selling like crazy, all the retailers realized they'd missed the boat, <laughs> and and they weren't going to get caught off guard the next time. So they ordered like a crazy amount of Transformers, and then anything 80s after that was officially like going into hyperdrive. 
but image just wasn't set up that way it was a totally different regime there than it is now too and i was told right from the very beginning you can only put out this book by monthly you're not allowed to do monthly because they didn't know me and they didn't know like how obsessively serious i was about right. doing it either i mean we never missed our deadlines on anything for years but yeah we we so we put out the first four issue miniseries you know bi-monthly and then we were quickly able to add on um some like special who's who books and 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 then another series called frontline and then it's expanded from there and then we started getting other licenses like i got, I got voltron um through uh, my t-shirt relationships again and then i got uh Micronauts. Micronauts. Yeah, Amigo we, Micronauts. Uh, and then, I, I thought that was pretty impressive. How did, I mean, who came, I mean, how did that whole concept come about to do the Micronauts? I mean, based off a toy line, you know, from. It was kind of funny because it was, Micronauts was not part of that whole 80s thing. Right. Like it was right before they came up with that formula of the, the cartoon and the lunchbox and every evil genius market. It was right before all that. So it was almost there. You know, it had a lot of merch. You know, but it didn't have the cartoon and stuff. It had a really it had the whole Marvel comic. As soon as we got popular from the the eighties stuff, everyone just started blowing us up. You know, like emailing me and just a little bit before my time. But I'm interested, you know. And then we looked into it, and it was uh, Abrams Gentile Entertainment. Uh, Marty Abrams' son, Ken Abrams. I don't remember if he contacted us or if I met him through a convention or something. But yeah, we we did that, and uh, we couldn't use any of the Marvel characters. So it was only all the toy characters that they own and kind of had to rebuild the right. universe and rebuild the fantasy there. Yeah, it was, that had a good run. And then we did, um, start expanding into other licenses. And we were just very quickly, within about two years, it was just impossible to work under the image model. You know, image is a great company and, but they, they had gone into doing studios, but it was still studios with original properties. And right. now we were getting into like, we were a studio with licensed properties in a, in a mixed in with our own original stuff and when you i i'm i make adding employees and stuff and when we when you your first book would come out you know image pays you in a couple of months you know like a normal like here's your check for your the book but your royalties only get paid out twice a year and it just was not feasible to like i needed you know just we couldn't run the like we couldn't grow the company that way and uh so we went independent in uh 2000 beginning of 2004 and uh so so now you yeah so I, but it really really was i had all, i had already been self-publishing before that you know um it was uh it's a whole different world now <laughs> so you've kind of met you know we've kind of you took some of these properties from the 80s you did like gi joe's and, and gi joe and voltron and things like that was there ever did you ever feel like any weird like pressure like i better get this right or like 80s kids are gonna throttle me or was it just sort of like Hey, you know what? I know this stuff. I love this stuff. So I pretty much got it. Oh, there was always pressure, <laughs> and uh, it was always like, no matter what you do in GI Joe, half the people are gonna love you, right, half the people you know. are gonna hate you. Right? There's a lot <laughs> like, of angry nerds out there. And, <laughs> <laughs> well, and I know. Yeah, and, it, and it, I mean, in all fairness, there are plenty of people that no matter what you sh what you could just crap out of anything, and they will love it. Right. Oh, absolutely. And then there's people that no matter how good it is, they will just shit all over it. And I, and I then, mean, you know, there's. You guys killed off some characters, and I'm sure that didn't make everybody happy. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, so I wanted... Actually, I need to go back to your working with heroes thing. Um, yeah, so I wanted I wanted to kill off a Joe that would have really meant something to every character, but wouldn't have fundamentally disrupted the whole like sure. team structure or anything. 
I wanted to kill off Hawk. Mm. <laughs> and uh, I mean, that would have been that would have been something that like the true that that meant something to the true fans, right? Not you know, it, it wasn't as gimmicky as like killing Snake Eyes or something, right? Even right, though right. I thought that would be something years later someone should have finally done just to, uh, but but. That would have pissed off a lot like, of people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like um, Snake Eyes' death needs to be handled in the way that like Logan's death was. You right, know, like, right. You, you have to approach that story from the fact of like, look, this guy's gonna die someday, so let's just figure out how it happens. Right. <laughs> Versus like, oh, we're gonna kill him off in the middle of nothing. But Hasbro wouldn't let me kill off Hawk. I don't know why. And then, hmm. uh, but they said Lady J we can kill. Oh. It's like so. Um, I, I mean, they didn't suggest her, but they. We had other other names on a short list, and uh, so she was killed a little too abruptly. Like I, in in hindsight, like you know, you look back, wish you could have done things differently. I wish we would have built that up more. Mm-hmm. But it was it, it really was kind of like one of those like '80s Larry Hama comic deaths where Hasbro said, "Hey, you got to like make room for new characters." <laughs> and you go, "Okay, this issue, these guys are all dead." <laughs> well, you know, but Transformers but, um, the movie did it to us. So oh, yeah. <laughs> pretty much the same exact thing, you know. Yeah. We need new toys, so kill off a bunch of what them. I, what I want to do now is I want to do a story that if IDW would have to agree to do this in the, the, what they now call the disavowed G.I. Joe universe, which is our Devil's Due universe. Um, and I want to do a story that, that's like a modern take on Joe now. It's got it's I, how I think it should be updated, hmm. like updating it once again, making it a little apply to like modern reality and little a little bit of black mirror kind of stuff because that's what we're headed towards that would be kind of cool. um and it centers around lady j hmm. so that that's that's because that's that's the story where you'd have here's again here's something that all those real fans know that used to actually read the, the actual readers that bought thousands and thousands of copies of those books that's something that would like if, as a fan that would get me to pick the book up again right and they just don't want anything to do with a story in that universe I think they're afraid if it did well, you know, might make it, might not look good. You think they'd learn at some point. It's like, remember, you you didn't want to do this back then either. It's like, when are you going to take the hint? Trust us. We know what we're talking about at some point. You got you to start listening. I, I think it's funny, you know, you talk about how no one wanted to, even when it was the, the you know, the, the 80s properties, the, the T-shirt lines, the t- nobody wanted to pick up on it. Meanwhile, you had a whole contingency of people out here, me being one of them, who was craving that kind of stuff and would wherever I could get my hands on an eighties t-shirt or, you know, comic book line, I would jump all over it. It's how do they miss that? It's like, yeah. <laughs> well, you know who else didn't get it was the fucking toy company. Like Hasbro <laughs> didn't get it. It's like the like next they, generation of consumers. Yeah. When we, when we first got the license and our first like interaction with, okay, this is going to be your account manager and here's what you're going to get. They didn't know who snake eyes was. <laughs> oh jeez. Like it was, blew my mind and then i was just yelled at all the time for putting these like horrible edgy characters in this children's book like why are you putting the hell's angels in this book why are you putting a pimp and a dominatrix in this book uh why you know what what are all you know what is all this and i'm like guys these are your characters guys these are what you sold to eight-year-olds and now we're making it for 25 to 30 year olds so um that was just a whole shit show of an experience for seven long years but um, yeah, I mean, it opened the door to meet like so many awesome people. Like, so obviously Larry Hama is the first person I had to reach out to, and uh, <laughs> which he's like total like you know old school New York guy. So he's just answer. I mean, he answers the phone like hello. And you're like, hey Larry, this is uh, Josh. Blah blah blah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, 
that guy's lived the most amazing life and has some of the most amazing stories inside and outside of comics mm. um, that range from comics to working in the television industry to being in war in Vietnam to traveling in Europe doing I don't know what to work in Studio 54 wow. and uh, to being like an actor uh, to writing books and uh, just everything to this day he's still like that um, yeah I mean I think one of the most exciting ones was Mike Zeck you know getting to do cover he did several covers for us and he also drew the entire 21st issue 21 we did a um, homage to the original silent issue and just seeing how Mike worked and like how his sketch thumbnail process works it's kind of amazing uh, yeah, and then also like the, the at the time like the younger like hotter t- artists like just we got the first three artists i got on covers was j scott campbell because he had been doing all of those um wizard you know pinups and i knew he was a fan of it and he was willing to work out a deal those. on the back end oh, yeah. for us so I, you know that's how we got him <laughs> i used to love those wizard uh, pinups i used to get those all and, the time pull the pull them out of the magazines Oh yeah, man. Those were like oh, were, that's like that's killer. like that's the thing. Like it wasn't like just a bunch of fanboys sitting around talking about how this would be. It's like guys, there's there's this magazine that like there's a reason they're putting right. this in every every issue every month. Because um, people loved it. Yeah, they and, had a lot uh, of good stuff in there. What's amazing now is looking back. Look at all the covers that we did over the years. I mean, we did we did more issues of content in seven years than Marvel more than Marvel did in ten and wow. twelve. So there's a lot of covers out there, mm. and if you look back, we had a ton of like superstar artists now. That this earlier works. So we had Francis Manipal the covers for us, Mark Brooks. Um, you know, obviously Tim Seeley did a ton of stuff. Yeah, just there's a, a whole bunch of really cool shit. So you know, you've we've mentioned a few of the properties you guys got to work on. I know you guys did some. Uh you had some other stuff. You did some uh, Evil Dead Ash versus the Evil Dead kind of uh, Army of Darkness stuff. Some Dungeons and Dragons stuff. Was there was there ever a property, especially something from the '80s, that you always wanted to adapt into a comic book, a toy line, or a? Was there ever a property that you just always Jones in to create like a comic book line from? Um, I got to do pretty much. I mean, those were pretty much it. <laughs> okay. Um, there is some stuff I would love to play with now. But now it's like after doing this for over 20 years so you gotta start looking like well am i just adding value to someone else you know right or versus like focusing on building your own equity and your own stuff but um yeah i would like love 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 i think a huge hit would be the fifth element oh yeah Ooh. um which we've come really close to doing before um, unfortunately there's some not so good stuff associated with that right now so i might have dodged a bullet but we uh for, there's a really old one that I think would be awesome to update. It'd be Forbidden Planet. Hmm, that would be cool because you've got this. You've got one of the most iconic old B movie sci fi images Absolutely, that exists. Yeah. You know the robot holding and watch that movie. You look at what else was out at that time. This movie must have blown people's minds when it came out and like what the how the designs were, just how the plot was structured. And watching it, it's really like a horror movie. I mean, if you redid it today, it would be sort of like. Japanese horror, like the Grudge or the Ring, uh, on an alien planet. So, like, kind of like Japanese horror mixed with really Scott, mixed with some like Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, I mean, okay, you totally need uh, to do this. And yeah. Throw and still keep some of the. <laughs> yeah, so that, that's that. That's when you. So what you know, we it was around like 2007, 2006. Hollywood really started coming in, to, like wanting to snatch up different comic properties right. and. 
we start getting represented by the William Morris Agency. And wow, um, so then it was an opportunity to meet a whole bunch of amazing people and celebrities and producers and screenwriters and everything. But she's like, kind of like, can't believe you're there. Like, is this my, you know, like, but at the end of the day, like, we don't, you know, you still, it's still a total crapshoot to get anything on screen. Absolutely. Um, right. You know, we've been so close so many times to having stuff in production. And then it just at the last second, literally, not even the project falls out, but the entire company is like sold off to someone else who shutters all the projects. Yeah. Like that's happened like multiple times. And, uh, so it's funny because you've got all these crazy stories and stuff left over, but nothing to really show for yeah. it. So at a certain point, it all comes full circle to like making your making your own comics, building your own brands, and just getting content out there so that you know. And if you just focus on that, it seems to pay off the most. Where that's where you're gonna you're gonna get the attention that way from genuinely. Like any time we've ever set up a film deal, it's never. I don't. I don't think it's ever one time been from like an agent thing or an agent like contact or a meeting. It's literally been, we just picked a good idea and we put it out there and we get a phone call. Hmm. I mean, that's just how they almost, they almost all happen. Now I just thought of a great idea. Um, all right. <laughs> now, hear me out. Okay. Since you struck gold getting the GI Joe brand, Oh no. Have you thought about maybe, I don't know, getting the bazooka Joe but comic what? books and like doing your thing for them? Just a thought. <laughs> I haven't seen those in a long time. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Bring it back, you know. Go I back mean... to my. <laughs> go back to my middle school candy selling days for that. We know they have that whole like they took the whole you know Riverdale Archie dark turn on things. Maybe you could do that with Bazooka Joe. I don't know. Right? Maybe Bazooka <laughs> You're like on to something, Casey. Age. You're on yeah, to something. Right. Now we just have to start learning how to draw. <laughs> and. <laughs> It has to go the way of like Breaking Bad. It has yes. something to do with what's in the gum. Right. Right. What's in the gum. Right. 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 All of a sudden. Yeah, Archie, the Archie story is pretty incredible how they turned that around. It's like they finally let them, they finally, after decades, let them tweak the art style. And, yeah. And, and it instantly just took off. It had been pretty much the same thing forever. Um, it, it hadn't changed a whole lot, that's for sure. But then they invited the Punisher to Riverdale. <laughs> well, you know. Did you guys ever see the hack slash uh, Archie homage? Oh yes, uh, it, it's... yeah. There was a so there's a Tim Tim Seeley created this this horror book hack slash, which is sort of a horror comedy, um, really really well written, super like awesome layered characters, and it's about the girl that survives at the end of every slasher movie, mm-hmm. and you know now she goes and now she she survived one of these th- events and now she goes after them hunting them. So there's an episode, a couple issues where they go to Haverhill, the, the the city of Haverhill, which is all super squeaky clean and everything's drawn like Archie style. Right. <laughs> and we actually got Dan Parent, an Archie artist, to work on it. And and uh, there's a Father Wrath, this like uh, undead slasher former priest that comes back, and he he's you know it's this tropes of all the every like teen slasher movie. So he's looking for teenagers that are out having sex and doing immoral things. For him to murder, and he can't find any. <laughs> he's in like he's in like squeaky clean Haverhill, where everyone's like perfect. <laughs> and uh, he he finally finds like to murder. And uh, so yeah, it was funny. He he finally finds someone to murder. <laughs> I've been looking all day. Couldn't find they do, yeah, they made fun of that. We made fun of that cover. There's the one Archie cover where like 
the guy Archie said he had to beat off three guys <laughs> to, like, <laughs> to help this girl. Ah, there's our sense of humor. <laughs> yeah. So we did that homage to that cover. I know. Um, so the, yeah, those are out there. Those are probably worth something now. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, I love that series. That was great. When you guys did the GI Joe series, would you was that that's probably one of the the longest running series you guys? I mean, you guys had it for quite a while, correct? Yeah, seven years. Seven years. Um, and I know you get online. The first, you see a lot of people talking about. I, I mean, I'm sure you won't argue with this, but you know, you read a lot about uh, Devils do sort of reignited the the GI Joe comic. I mean, you're kind of known for being the ones who got the story back out there, kind of got the ball rolling with G.I. Joe all over again. So. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure. Are you still there? I'm sorry. It cut out right the last sentence, right when you were saying great things. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you love Skype? I was just saying, you know, if you get online and you read a lot about it, a lot of the fans are, are pretty much saying that you guys, your run of G.I. Joe is sort of what reignited the flame for, for G.I. Joe in general. Like, people, it really got people back on board for G.I. Joe, not just in the comic world, but I think everywhere. I'll yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> Do you take any yeah, credit no, you know, for it, the it, movie? It, I mean, it, it died out in '94, and then uh, I I do not. Although I have I'm not, don't blame me. They used part of my plot. Did they really? Specifically, even though there's yeah, there's lots of other Joe stories. You know, that we published, but they use my they use the nanomites. Really? Um, that's that's from the very first miniseries, and and they had them like. I mean, I'm not saying I wouldn't rewrite those issues today, like 20 years later, you know, I've evolved as a writer, but like, you know, um, there was supposed to be these like, you know, nanotechnology that's like really deadly and could like destroy the world. And they had Cobra, like, you know, had them chewing up the Eiffel Tower right, and right. just doing goofy <laughs> shit. It made them look weird and, <laughs> and green then they had and those slimy. like weird exo. Yeah. Like what I like to think that we captured was the perfect blending of, you know, the, re- the I mean, the comic book was no joke in what it sold. I mean, it sold hundreds right, of thousands absolutely. of copies a month for years. So there was a real audience out there that bought the comics. It wasn't like it had a cult following. It was a mainstream following. But the cartoon with millions and millions of kids watching it. Right. So you had to blend all of them together. And we kept it obsessively tight on the continuity of the Marvel picked up where Marvel left off. But the the inflections of a lot of the characters and the designs that we put in like those were also had to do wink and a nod to um to the cartoon right and uh you know adding and then it also like added a couple characters here and there so i added like duster's son alexander uh mistress armada kamakura kamakura is unarguably the most popular new character that i put in there um and then zartan's daughter zanya but yeah it i mean it could have what could have happened was someone would have i mean the the, the passion was there eventually somebody would have done something it, would, it might not have been gi joe there would have been another 80s comic hit right but i think why it was a success is because classic story of how someone gets in there when no one knows what they're doing and and like someone who understands the property and understands the fandom absolutely and does it right because no one's bother no one's bothering them mm-hmm. well we were bothered constantly but not as bad as it would have been if it had already been if there had already been another success. It's like Larry Hom is the first one that said he goes, as soon as you sell like two hundred thousand copies, then they're going to come in and tell you how to do your job. Of course, <laughs> as soon as you're doing well, they then they're going to try it. There, yeah. But you know, I think what you just said it really probably is why it was so successful is the fact that you were a fan, 
you understood that people that the original fans were getting older and they wanted something a little more older, but you did do that wink and the nod to the original cartoon. So you gave them new new content that was a little more age appropriate, yeah, they, but you um, didn't forget the roots, and and so they could still relate to what they remembered from being a kid. And they, I mean, it's like it's what Marvel understands like intimately, like they get it so they do it so well. And then, but with a lot of these other companies that especially if it's a company that doesn't come from like story creation, they come from making a product or something right. versus like their entire existence is creating the stories. Like comic co- companies create these stories when it's a toy company. It's, it's just a little thrown off. Right. Um, now we go for anything that was like not story centric, but the, yeah, I mean what, it's like what they didn't get in their movie, their movie falls and like, I wish they would have involved us, you know, I used to have arguments all the time with people there like that, you know, guys, this isn't a fanboy. A perfect example is going back to, you know, hack slash. There was, we had that set up as a film and there was some, you know, revisions happening to the script. And there's one time where this producer, she wanted to like take out all everything that made that book, that story, what it was. They wanted it because they thought the character was too, too, like it was too culty and like too, like she's super gothy and stuff. And I'm like, like with G. Joe was like the fan stuff. You know those fan things. You have to. It's a new. It's a nuance, but you have to look at what. Yeah, like ice cream soldier. Okay, like yeah, that's not going to be like a guy that we expect people to freak out about. We're not going to insist like that character's in a movie or something. Right. Mm-hmm. But if you've got something that has resonated with people, where they show up in cosplay as that character, right. they show up right. as you know they 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 have have that as their avatar on their well on their social media or something like those characters. Even if it is a small cult following. Those are what resonate. If they're, if they're doing that, that means there's something about that character that resonates with a Absolutely. larger audience. Yeah. So you got to yes. figure out. And that's, that's what they just don't intuitively get. And it just it's so weird, like how the um, how the how the movies were developed. And really, I mean, the whole reason we lost the license and we we like, you know, it just ended badly was because GI Joe was getting bigger, and then all yeah. of a sudden they there was some other politics going on with them wanting to buy Dreamwave because Transformers had done so well, but it was only doing that well because it was riding our wave. Right. And Transformers was always a bigger brand than G.I. Joe. It just always was. And then Dreamwave went bankrupt. <laughs> right when they, So then the, just a bunch of weird politics going on in the company, and then the movie's coming out, and they're asking us, like, can you guys handle this kind of distribution? This is going to be a really big movie. This is going to be in all the theaters. Like, can you guys handle this? Meanwhile, we had a license to, like, Family Guy, which is the hottest thing on right, television at the right. time. <laughs> and we were selling it. And Blockbuster, we were selling it at all the bookstores. We were selling it at Blockbuster Video, and uh, Caps. I mean, you know, it was everywhere. That you know, we had distribution of call, of all of our comics and like on the magazine racks, even in like Borders. And and then it kind of kind of fizzled. But what would have happened if the comic book had been done? Whether we fucked it up or if someone else got it and watched it, then it might not have had that big resurgence. It might have got a really quick blip. Right. It might have been a hot thing. And like everyone said. All the retailers that were like happy to make the money, but who, who and there was you know definitely a group of people who rationally just it wasn't their thing and they didn't get it, so they thought the '80s thing was going to be a total fad. You know, it would have been that. It would have just been like, Bloop, okay, great, we sold a few hundred thousand copies in one year, and now nobody cares. And then still, then the, the mainstream audience that doesn't read comics still would have gotten like, it basically would have ended up with. You probably would have still eventually got the movie, but you know. You know, it might have not even been able to happen. Whereas, unfortunately, 
they could have kept the momentum going and they could have embraced the fandom the same way that we did with the comics that made the relaunch so successful. And then they could have intertwined us in with it and we would all be making a lot more money. <laughs> and then we could have, uh, you know, but, but there's, there's, there's issues with those characters. There's a lot of weird dynamics going on with that brand. It's the first, there's a family legacy to that. Like it's some really deep, like family dynamic stuff. Mm-hmm. So, you know the the owners of Hasbro. I mean, that that's the first toy that they that they built up that made them what they are. Right, right. And there's this weird mythology sure. within the company. It's literally a mythology within the company about that toy and what it represents, which has nothing to do with what the brand actually is. Meanwhile, you know, people just want to see some badass like military dudes fighting ninjas and you know, <laughs> and like evil I st- like still do want that kind of sort of <laughs> sort of sci-fi terrorists. I mean, that's. I never stop. I think that. the way you get away from that. Like, so now they're ter- ter- terrified. Now they always had that problem. They never got that. And now as the world is like, gets crazier and crazier. Now they're worried about the politics of it all. They're worried about the terrorism thing. They're worried about all. And they're worried about the fact that they've always worried about is guns shooting things for what is still at its core kids brand. Sure. And I, I that's mean, just I, not okay anymore. It's what they and say. I, what, I grew up watching that stuff, loving that stuff. They should literally, they should literally, yeah. And but it's never going to be acceptable again. I honestly think they should finally bite the bullet and say, "Guess what? GI Joe is not a kids' brand at all." Right. Right. Like you can always like celebrate that it was. Mm -hmm. Be like, look, if the world's changed and it doesn't accept this anymore, it's totally fine with some amazing video games based on this stuff. We can make a badass video game franchise out of this. Right. We can make a a GI Joe movie that is as hardcore as like Extraction was. You know. And just just go the other way with it. Like one one of the things I liked a lot of, about your line, and and I've been making my way through them um, early on. I mean, you kind of like we grew up as kids. We had these guys with these goofy code names, but you guys make the and I guess we always kind of knew they were code names, but we were kids, so that's what we accept. And when you guys did the line, you, I mean, right in the first issue, you there's a comment made about their real names and how it's like, we didn't know them by that. We, we know them better as this and this. And it's like, right, we've made it adult. And now we understand now, okay, we call them roadblock and we call them shipwreck because that's just what they get called. Cause that's yeah, I mean, how does get their name? Like, what the hell? <laughs> I think making it more adult yeah. now and, and the kids who love that stuff are adults now anyway. So if you and they're gamers and they're consumers and they're the people that are going to the movies so bring update that into modern times and i think it you're right it would be more acceptable people wouldn't be worried about oh this is a kids movie stop making it a kids movie make it an adult movie because we're why well, I, I used to argue with 40 year olds are like, going to see it right it used to be like yelling at the wall but like i used to argue with them about how trying to say like guys you're not coming at you're coming at this you're you're not used to building fantasies you know you're 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 not like not used to making these comics and cartoons and stuff anymore it's like you, why aren't you doing what DC and Marvel do they have they have the batman for the little kids they have frank miller right. batman they have you know they have all these different incarn- and then that's fine they just and, and that guess what moms are not picketing DC comics right. because mm-hmm. batman and uh frank miller's books is psycho like they're not they're not they get it. People, it's like they just couldn't wrap their heads around that, and uh, it's so weird. Um, but now I would argue, over a decade later, now I would argue, like, actually, guys, I think now because of the way things are, you definitely just bite the bullet, just literally put out an announcement. It's no longer a kids' brand. We're not focusing <laughs> on that anymore. We're doing adult shit. And then if people, 
want to give some of it to their kids because they got the attachment, then that's fine. It's totally up to them, right? Uh, right. But it's like you can buy your got you can buy your kid a Deadpool toy and, and still not let them watch the movie. I mean, this is true. <laughs> and by the way, um, us again, us forty something year olds, we're buying toys. <laughs> I, you know, the world's different than it used to be, and it's acceptable. And I love collecting toys. So if I if I love the property, even as a forty year old, I'll go buy your toy. And back in the day, I used to buy like um, let's see, RoboCop toys and. RoboCop the movie Amen. was not for kids. It wasn't? Oh, why so weren't those the days banned? I mean, you go look back and you're like, there's a fucking Rambo cartoon? Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I loved when they would make cartoons of, of certain properties that were movies and you're going, how did this, how did this, like, who brought this into the meeting and said, look, I have an idea. Yeah. RoboCop the cartoon. No, well, follow me here. <laughs> here, let me do this line of code. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you look at like you just look at your parents. You're like, was anyone paying attention here? Right. <laughs> I actually, so that's a funny project. There's a project I'm working on now that it hasn't been officially announced, and it's, it, but it's uh, working title is it's going to be called I Turned Out Fine, <laughs> and it's um, it is about um, character. It's about taking your old comics like you did as a kid. And then, uh, like, uh, the farther back you can go, the better. And then you have to redraw them as a professional, but you're not allowed to change the dialogue. Oh, that's awesome. So um, it's a it's a little bit like Axe Cop, a little, little bit uh, sort of uh, almost like drug history, you know? Because um, <laughs> you want to go through your old comics and find the dumbest possible scenes you can find where, right. as a kid, you thought you were being totally serious. And I love both of them. I, I got some. <laughs> so one of my longest running, oh, yeah, like, one of my longest running uh, ones I did was called, uh, it was USGI versus Fang, and like there was, <laughs> it was so weird. Total GI Joe rip. He was doing GI Joe even when he was a kid. Were so bizarre. <laughs> but then you know what? All I would color. I didn't want to spend the time coloring the whole thing, so I was like, you know, draw it, put in the word balloons, draw the next panel, put in the word balloons, and just I would do the whole book that way for like years. But I would only color. Talk about something that would send you to like the the mental hospital now, but back then just as normal. I colored. The, all the explode and explosions and all the bullets. <laughs> like that's all I would color. I don't know. That's kind of cool, actually. <laughs> I'd be all right with that. I was raised on like a, a, a yeah. I'm like raised on a dose of like all these like Schwarzenegger Stallone movies. Like anytime people got shot with a machine gun, like they're for no reason like legs in their head. <laughs> right. <fly off. laughs> like, oh man, that's brilliant. That's just what you draw when you're like a little. That's what that's what boys draw. But see, um, that's why it's but, great. Uh, He's right. We turned out fine. <laughs> I think. So yeah, I want to call it. We turned out fine. I've got I've got that one and a superhero one. Um, I'm tentatively getting tentatively getting some other artists on board for it. We just want to put out a one shot. We'll probably put it on Kickstarter and just get one out there That's so fantastic. people understand yeah. the concept. That's great. You know, there's a whole slew yeah. of people. When you guys um, do that, you'll have to let us know. There's a whole. Um, we're friends with a whole group of people that would probably way be into something like that oh yes and i can also tell you i have a whole group of people that would go nuts if you did anything for, with forbidden planet by the way <laughs> just i know a, a contingent of people that would be all over that so but yeah that would be great that sounds yeah, man i i would love to do that that that, that involves like getting yeah, you have to get yeah, like of course movies are weird because a toy company you just go get the get the toy rights uh the like the right you'll get the comic book rights to use the toy property right um when it comes to movies, it's like you have to sometimes, well, the studio controls the rights. They're like, yeah, but we still need to talk to the producer. We need to talk to right. the director that originally did it and make sure he's okay with this. And it's all, I mean, you have to just go through like 
kissing babies and shaking hands with, like so many people like you're running for office or something to be fair i don't think you can and then that's that where that's where i with the covid <laughs> that's where you come back to like man I, I would like to just i guess i'll just make my own thing but um i would love to do forbidden planet and uh i think i the more the more like i've already started sketching out some of this like i turned out fine stuff that sounds like, it's really awesome. even more fun than i thought it would be to do and i can actually see as the absurdity of some of these characters turning around to actually be popular and making toys and stuff out of them that like people might really get into this whole idea and almost like the dumber the character the better well it's kind <laughs> of the it's kind of the right time for something like that too people really are into that sort of thing at this point in time where it's like the kind of absurdity of it is what people are looking for i think it's just sort of a refreshing thing when everything in the world seems crazy give us something just completely goofy and absurd and fun yeah just something to kind of have fun with yeah. yes for what it's worth, I think it's a brilliant idea, and I think you should go for it. Amen. Might not, might not be worth much, but <laughs> stuff you think of as a there's stuff you think of as a kid. There's a guy like the bad guy is a, a ghost, like you know, called Rook Commander, and it's a ghost. And but then he also like wears robes and stuff. <laughs> oh man, that's awesome. Well, we don't want to keep you all night. You're in uh, you're in Chicago now, right? Uh, I am. Yeah. We actually have a, a third co-host on the show that was not uh, was not able to be here with us tonight, and he's going to be a little bummed. He's from Chicago, and now he lives in Cincinnati, so you kind of reversed him, but he's a, he's a huge fan of anything Chicago-related, or so he could, he could have went on a little bit about that. But um, we don't want to keep you all night, but I don't want to let you go. We cannot be in the same city at one time or we will collide. <laughs> you will, you will yeah. it'll implode. It'll be the end of everything. Um, I, before we let you go, though, I want you to t- kind of take a moment, let people know where they can find you online. Um, most importantly, where they can, where aside from stores, where they can go to to find uh, your line of comics, and maybe, well, I mean, you just told us about one thing you're you're working on, but anything that you have coming out soon that people can be looking forward to. Yeah, um, you can find all of our stuff at devilsdo.net, D E V I L S D U E dot net. Um, my longest running book, Mercy Sparks which is nothing like G.I. Joe. It's about a punk rock devil girl disguised as a human who lives on Earth hunting down rogue angels for heaven. Uh, that book has been on hiatus for a while, and it's coming back in September. Sweet. There's four volumes of content to binge on that. Um, there's, uh, And then uh, my next book coming out, Arc World, which if you have any interest in like any combination of ancient aliens, Indiana Jones, like lost ancient atlantean civilization stuff the arc world is all about that wow and if you go to um what i'm coining this genre of if you go to archaeopunk.com a-r-c-h-e-o archaeopunk.com um there's a free digital download there that just gives you a little preview of the book nice you can pre-order there and i actually think even though that doesn't sound anything like a joe plot it's going to resonate with a lot of joe fans because there's sort of uh there's a some of the flashback scenes to the distant like Atlantean past. There's a team with a task force of people that just have a sort of a, a cool camaraderie that has a little bit of uh, any good like team book vibes. Nice. Ensemble cast. I mean, I'm going to go download the free digital preview. So I don't know about the rest of them, but it sounds pretty cool to me. It sounds like it's right up my alley. And I'm going to binge read uh, some more Mercy Sparks. Because, <laughs> you know, it's COVID. You know, it's co- yeah, I mean, we have lots of free time right now. So. Right. What what better time, people, to go and get caught up on some of your favorite comics? I mean, you got a lot. And you can also time. buy uh, germ-free digital comics from us too. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> How, what are, what are your feelings about the digital comics? I mean, 
are you i mean obviously as a, as a from a business standpoint it uh, makes sense, they're, but... they're there for people that want to read them yeah I mean, I, I've, from a business standpoint, they're terrible. Nobody I've, cares about them. I've done it. I've tried it. I've tried to do digital. They're not a threat. It's just not the same. It just doesn't. It's nice to have pages to flip through. I want that comic book in my hand. Right. Yeah, it's nice to have it there. So yeah. it, they, the jury, jury. I mean, the jury's uh, the verdict. The verdict has been like out on it too. Like the, um, I mean, the comic digital comics are like ten percent of the yeah. market, and they're not going up there print sales for kids books are growing like nobody wants to read digital comics what's skyrocketing right now is audiobooks yeah um those are going off like crazy but e- other ebooks are totally down nobody i mean they're where they're going to be they're, they exist for convenience sure. they're great to have if you're if you're on the plane or something they're awesome to have right. and um other than that man like yeah people want and so there's never going to be audio comics. You know, that's not gonna be and like I'm sure doing the ebooks and the in the e-comics and stuff doesn't really. Once you've already created the content, it's it's probably not very expensive to go the e route. I mean, so you might as well do it. But I, I yeah. there's always been that thing about holding a physical then, book or a physical comic in your hand. Well, man, we really appreciate you spending some time with us. And and uh, again, people, please go out check them out. Um, <laughs> their 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 run of GI Joes are incredible. So. For any 80s fans out there, I, I highly recommend going, picking them up, checking them out. But grab some Voltron, too, while you're at it, you know, because we love the 80s, so you might as well. But, Josh, we really do appreciate having you on here yes, tonight. Yes, thank you. All right, so there you have it. There was our interview with Josh Blaylock. Again, he's with uh, Devil's Due Publishing. If you guys get a chance to go over, check out some of his runs of comics. They are fantastic. Um, as you mentioned, the uh, the free download in there uh, of what is am I going to say this right? Is it Arc World? Arc Kevin, you're supposed to um, correct me. It's <laughs> <laughs> if I get it wrong, you're supposed to fix it for me. Um, but you can go over and get the free download for the the, the trial thing to kind of see if you like it. But highly recommend it. He's a great guy. Uh, it was an awesome interview. Very very uh, grateful for having the opportunity to speak with him. Um, do go over and check out Devil's Due. There's a lot going on over there. For Like we mentioned in the show, they have a lot of different runs, but from Voltron to uh, they had Family Guy for a long time. Um, they, uh, Micronauts. The Micronauts, which is just awesome. <laughs> and uh, for they have the... Uh, Leave it alone. Yeah, Stewie's, Stewie's reaching. Thank you. We Thank you, Spank Dog. You're Stewie's welcome. reaching for the microphone. See, I, so, I smacked him for the tattoo. To the, listeners, to the listeners of this show, we don't know why. But it's like having a five-year-old in here, and he just always reaches up and starts playing with his microphone. Pull, I have to touch it. He, no, that's oh the, he pulls on this thing. He'll start pulling on it. That's pushing. what she said. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know why he does it. I yell at him every week, and he continues to do it. Say? What? Yes, it's bizarre. <laughs> but uh, I'm trying to be trying to give some shout outs to Josh Blaylock here, and you guys are just sorry. Uh, they also have the uh, the uh, Evil Dead run, the Army of Darkness run of comics. Um, they have quite a few over there, and then a lot of their original stuff, which I know KC ha- brought over his uh, Minotaurs, and those were that was as Josh mentioned on the episode, it was like his first comic, which is really cool. Yeah, very first. He signed them for me. Uh, a few years back, but yeah, the Minotaur got those. You know, they're sealed inside my chamber here in my apartment. And how cool is it that I brought up the GI Joe movie, and he's like, he's like, well, I take no responsibility for that. And he's like, well, although they did kind of use one of our storylines, which I was like, that is 
fantastic. Which that is awesome. The GI Joe live action movie is pretty bad. Makes me wonder why I went to see the sequel, but I did. So, I mean, Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Cobra Commander does not work for anyone, and he's not even Cobra Commander for no. most of the movie. So the whole right. casting, the whole casting was atrocious. It was just didn't didn't work for anybody. So, and Channing Tatum notoriously hates that movie, and he hates that he had to do it, but he was under contract. So, so he, he insisted Ugh. that they kill him off almost immediately in the second one. So that's what they did. Anyway, so they gave the franchise over to The Rock. Yeah. Yeah. Who <laughs> also miscast as played Roadblock, Roadblock. Which never made a damn bit of sense. So but. we're going to be doing our casting call of uh, our version of the live. We would do a live action Arise Serpentor. And it's funny because on the next episode, uh, we're going to be talking about G.I. Joe, the movie, the, the 1987 animated movie. And while Stu and I were watching it again the other night, Stu looked at me and said, Roadblock should totally be Terry Crews. I was like, that's who my roadblock is. I swear to God, I already have him <laughs> as Terry Crews. Because that is a good choice. He's, yeah. he's, he even sounds like him. He's got the voice. He's got the look. He'd be perfect. He's got the kind of goofiness in his personality. Totally would he's work. He's got the build for it. Yeah, he has the, the build for it. Yeah. Um, he would be great, I think. So we'll get into that. We'll, we're, we're definitely going to do our uh, – Casey and I are going to go head-to-head again on another casting call. Um, I, I think I got you whooped again, though. I have some brilliant casting. Brilliant. So I don't know when we're going to be doing that, but me soon, I'm sure. Uh, so, again, I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, you can always write us. We are your mixtape podcast at gmail.com. What just happened? I just. I pulled. <laughs> the, the head, I, I, I pulled prayed. What? The headphones cut out for like a split second. Yeah, I, I prayed too. <laughs> oh, God. You need to. <laughs> Whoa. Wow. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. you want him to burst into flames, Destiny? <laughs> I don't know. So. That just slipped out. <laughs> right. Sounds he like said he pulled. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> okay. Uh, email us. Go over and check. I got to get through this fast. Go over and check us out on Facebook. We are the Mixtape Podcast. That's two words, mix and tape. Uh, and next week, we will be talking about G.I. Joe, the animated movie, uh, with the same ensemble cast you hear right now. With that said, I've got nothing else. We're not doing anything else. I'm shutting this show down so we can go into the next show and make even bigger fools of ourselves. So until next time we speak, stay Stay awesome. Stay awesome. Excellent. They have spotted us. Cobra, attack! Rushy Cobra.